0: So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy today's guest. Success is a process, not an event. Hello and welcome to Fire in the Belly. Today we'll have myself, Mighty Pete, and we're joined by the Maureen O'Shaughnessy. Good afternoon to you.
1: Good afternoon, Pete.
0: Oh, listen, awesome to have you on the show. It's uh, an absolute pleasure. We have uh, sort of uh, common connections as well. So first of all, welcome. Just give us a brief background, Maureen. Where are you calling us from today?
1: I am from the west coast of the United States near Seattle, Washington.
0: Wow. So it's actually morning for you, right? You're you're
1: absolutely first thing in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: well, thank you for coming on so early and, and joining us. So just to give the listeners a bit of a bit of feedback and really on Maureen. So Maureen is on a mission to connect the dots between education, belonging, and youth empowerment. She is the founder of the human-centered microschool, L E A D Prep. Uh, this learner-focused middle to high school is a nation a national model for micro-schools, helping students learn from a place of love and personal al- alignment. Dr. O'Shaughnessy is the author of Creating Micro-Schools for Colourful Mismatched Kids, host of the Education Evolution podcast, and co-founder of the Ed Active Collection. She recently shared innovations ideas on her TEDx talk and on changing my mind to change schools. Disrupting the out-of-date education system, Maureen offers a variety of coaching resources, from running a mastermind for leaders of small schools to consulting with educational innovators and developing accessible for all learning environments. She is a force to help all students thrive and be future ready. Maureen, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on. What an introduction there. I love that. That's just so much there. So tell us, what do you, who are you? Who are you?
1: Wow. I am an on fire mother, wife, daughter. I'm also white and privileged. And I know that I need to make sure I'm giving back and making sure that all kids have the same access to an excellent education.
0: How how big is the problem, if that makes sense? Is there a problem, do you think? I
1: think there's a crisis. Okay. And I think it's kind of that frog in the pot of water metaphor that we plunked the frog in this pot and the heat's been turning up slowly and now it's boiling. Hmm. So I think we definitely have a crisis on our hands. Wow. I see mental health issues in our teens skyrocketing, and this is pre-pandemic. Washington State, the Seattle area, if you're not familiar, has Boeing, Microsoft, Amazon, Google. It is definitely an affluent, educated state. And we have two out of 10 kids not graduating from high school. Three out of 10 if they're a student of color and even higher if they're a student with special needs. Any business with these statistics and then add on to that in the high school annual, biannual, self-study, one in 10 kids have, high school kids have said that they've attempted suicide. To me, this is crisis. And this isn't, Washington State is wonderful. It's not an exception. And in fact, we have so many more resources. Um, My guess is it's more dire in other places, mental health issues, anxiety, depression, over 50% of students going on to college say that they're on some sort of medication or of some sort of diagnosis. And we just keep plugging along and saying, Hey, we have this assembly line system and you have to check off these boxes to move ahead with your life. And it's getting worse. And we need to be focusing on the human and we need to rethink what we're doing. And that's really hard for institutions to do.
0: So for you, I mean, where does it actually stem from? Do you think, I mean, where is it actually, why? I mean, it's sort of, you think, right? We've never been more connected, right? We've never been theoretically more educated, but yet there's still this whole gap. What's going on?
1: I think that times have changed so quickly, and private industry has said, okay, we're going to compete and we're going to up our game. And because there's been a financial incentive, we have. So much advances in technology. The phone I used in high school was connected to a cord on a wall, you know, and now it's the latest gizmo iPhone 27 that can, you know, do everything but telecommute. Um, So I think that we just don't have the financial incentive to make education different. We don't have a way of saying, hey, we're going to stop the production line and up the game. It's about control. It's about, there's so many people saying, I know what education is. I went to school. I want kids to prove that they know what I knew. And it's like, do we really need kids to be able to spit out this memorization on tests to show that they know something? Or do they have access to that now on their smartphone and extension of themselves? Do we really, can we evolve? Can we say, how do you use this information what does it mean how might you apply it how might you integrate it how might you take it apart and reconfigure it so there's so many people saying it has to stay the way i'm comfortable with and i'm familiar with and then we're dealing with humans it's not like it's an experiment where we can you know do all this testing we're, we're dealing you know there's so many ethical issues i think it's complicated i think people dig their heels in there's unions there's um policymakers, It's just really complicated. And we're not speaking up for the children who are saying I'm disconnected. The Gallup poll shows middle school kids as they go from age 13 to 18, each year becoming more disengaged. We have all this data and we're not saying, oh my gosh, what are we going to do about it? So we don't have strong advocates for the kids saying this is not satisfactory and we will not subject our kids to this.
0: I think it's super interesting that you actually, you separate out what education actually means these days. So, cause you know, for some, it is a memorization test, right? You know, it's like how many mm-hmm. facts and figures can you memorize hold in your brain for the next 12, 24 hours, spit it all mm-hmm. out on the paper and therefore you are successful or not as the case may be, but what, what is your definition of education?
1: I want. Kids to have the opportunity to unpack how they learn, to unpack what their interests are. Um, there's a Japanese condition called Ikigai. I don't know if you've heard of it, yeah. but it it's tied in in Okinawa. It's tied into longevity. And they've studied it and they've repeated the study in Costa Rica, there's a peninsula that also has people that live longer than everybody else. And what they've looked at, Ikigai means my reason for jumping out of bed in the morning. And so they look at, what are you good at? And in adults, what can you make money at? But for kids, what are you good at? What are you passionate about? And what in the world breaks your heart? And where those three intersect in a Venn diagram is your icky guy. So if I'm good at bringing people together and um, what breaks my heart, Maureen's heart is that kids have this sense of being defeated and they don't have a, a place when they finish high school, they don't own who they are. They're lost and they're worried and they're anxious and they're depressed, you know, and then You know, when you put it all together, what is in the middle is what fuels people up. So maybe it's environmental issues. Maybe it's um, stray cats. You don't like that there are so many unspayed cats. Maybe, you know, it could be anything. So maybe it's childhood diseases that have been eradicated in in the United States that are still existing in, in places in Africa. Whatever, if we can figure out our passions, and our strengths and uh, what breaks our heart, put it together. Wouldn't that be amazing if we had project based learning throughout, where kids were going with their passions and applying math and science and communication skills and the history lessons that they need to pursue their passions? And we're guiding them instead of saying, This textbook says this is the piece of history you need to know. You know, so if you're studying chemistry, if I'm really into nutrition and food science, I'm looking at those aspects of chemistry, you know, where if I'm really into disease control and, and whatnot, maybe I'm looking at more of a, a biotech than a chemistry perspective. And then students are guided. So then we get to focus on what we're good at and and all of us do that as adults why we don't let our kids do that you don't want me doing your engineering or changing the oil in your car or even cooking a fancy dinner for you trust me you know my daughters are like smoke alarm went off mom dinner must be ready you know so seriously <laughs> as adults we pick what we're good at and what we're interested in and pursue that and we work with others to complement that so what if we could just be more humane and more real world with our learners, instead of saying this canned content from over 100 years ago is what you need to learn in this order, I think we could really unleash kids' passion and purpose. And you've heard of Montessori, I'm sure, mm-hmm. Maria Montessori. It's really about kids owning their learning and teachers guiding. Well, Wall Street Journal had an article a handful of years ago about the Montessori mafia. And you have all of these people like Jeff Bezos of Amazon, Silicon Valley. CEOs, Julia Childs are all Montessori-raised. So when we let kids create and explore and we guide and we help them find their passions and their strengths and how they are meant to show up in the world, we're helping them be future-ready to do their job instead of saying, you've had one fraction of this and two fractions of social studies and three of foreign language, and you've had all these bits and pieces. So you're this well-rounded person that's gone through all these hoops, we spin kids right now. Mm. So I just feel like we know better. Sir Kenneth Robinson, TED Talk, the most listened to one, talks about schools kill creativity. Why would we want to kill creativity? Now more than ever, we need kids creating and solving for the jam we've gotten the world in. So to me, it's a no-brainer, but it's a really tough challenge to change any institution, and education is definitely in that situation.
0: I'm curious there. I mean, do you, kids probably don't necessarily consciously know what they want to do, right? I mean, they're, you know, right. they could be anything. However, is it on the basis that they they lean towards a certain uh, practice or a certain interest right so we're asking them almost on a subconscious level you know to to trigger their interest or trigger what they they just naturally lean toward right is that is have i got the right end of the stick there
1: that's definitely a piece of it and then in an ideal world everything is the classroom and we've seen that Mm -hmm. with the pandemic that we don't need specific four walls and a specific textbook we've done it without that this past year and a half So if the whole world is our classroom, what if we have kids out there? There are unschooling settings. There are travel around the world on a boat settings. There are so many ways that we can learn. What if we bring the kids out into the world and the world into the classroom? And then maybe I know I kind of like outdoors, but I never knew I could be a landscape engineer or a forest ranger. So if we just keep exposing kids to all kinds of careers and opportunities, and we're doing some aptitude tests, and we're doing a process of elimination. My my daughter got a vet assistant certificate, and then her last part was working in a vet office. And this animal lover hated working in a vet office. It really upset her. The animals came in suffering, they were scared. And she's like, yeah, that's not where I want to work. And so, you know, she knew she'd loved animals. She'd done different things with animals her whole life. We need to give them a chance to try themselves in different settings, say, "Mm, not this. Oh, okay, now I've known, I don't want a cubicle or, hey, I need more structure in my day. But that's how we all learn. And for some reason, we think talking at and memorization is how kids learn when it's not how you and I learn. So we're not really analyzing what we're doing to kids and the results or if we are we're just kind of wringing our hands and saying "Ah, oh, bummer we can't really do much about it
0: is there an answer yet? because i'm assuming one of the blocks to this type of education this sort of projects project project based learning as you talked about I'm, I'm assuming some of the is it is it down to creativity is it down to teaching styles is it the fact that it's slightly intangible so we can't sort of say They passed or they failed because we don't really know what the metric was in the first place. What's the reason that we just haven't switched to that type of learning?
1: I think, Pete, you've nailed a bunch of the pieces of it. It's definitely less quantifiable Hmm. because when you're working on a process and design thinking is a big part of it, it's not as measurable. Pencil and paper tests, it used to be you could run them through, the kids could bubble in a Scantron sheet and you could run it through a machine and it'd be automatically corrected and isn't that convenient, but that doesn't really show much besides memorization and that's lower level thinking. So part of it is teacher training and there are so many tools out there that can help make the shift. The Buck Institute has all this project-based learning and projects and training flipped learning has done a lot to move education forward. It takes the concept of teachers lecturing all class period and sending kids home to do homework and flips it. And the teachers prepare prepare a little, they have to get really concise and make a little lecture and send it home a video in advance. And that's the homework. And then kids unpack the learning at school. But that takes teachers being disciplined and saying, I have to be concise, I can't ramble on and on about my favorite World War II topic or whatever. And then I have to plan these activities. And I have to be willing to shift from being that sage on the stage to a guide on the side. And that takes It's hard. It's much easier to say, hey, we're going through this textbook. We're going through this lesson. We're going through this file that this is what I always do the third week of school. This is the novel we always study. This is a film we always watch. It's a lot harder to let kids be in more control. It's messier. It's noisier. It is less objective And then we have policymakers and business leaders saying, got to make sure the kids are learning. And the only way I know to do that is something quantifiable, which means a memorization test. So we get kids that get pretty darn good at tests in school and aren't good at life, aren't good at interacting with each other, aren't good at knowing who they are, how they function, what they need. And then we send them off and say, let's do four more years of this and incur student loan debt. And then let's have you go out and do a job to pay that debt back, whether you like the job or not. And we go, goodness, why is this generation floundering and why aren't they happier? I wonder.
0: Tell me, how did you get into this? How did this, <laughs> how did this happen? I mean, this is not something you just sort of fall backwards into. Maybe it <laughs> an interest, right? So that, give us a bit of the background.
1: Are a couple factors that kind of percolated so one i have three older brothers and i was always fiercely determined to keep up with them so i think i'm all, like always what's out there what can i be doing how can i so um early days before i was even in school i got busted one time because i hopped in the back of the station wagon because the boys were going somewhere with mom and i didn't want to miss out and turned out they were just going to a doctor's appointment, a a checkup for fall sports or school or something. But boy, I was missing and I was like four years old and that was not cool. But it's like, I don't want to miss out. And I know as much as I work on being Zen-like that I definitely still have some of that FOMO going on. I don't want to miss out what's out there. How can we do more? And I know that sometimes fuels me. Another piece from keeping up with my brothers, I was like reading early. Mom had a little star chart in the summers and really wanted the boys to stop running around and do some reading. And so I would like read books like crazy from the library and have my stars going all the way off the chart. So I got to school and was way ahead. And I had an amazing second grade teacher who was so wise. She knows that when kids are ahead, they can either get disengaged or they can be troublemakers. And I I knew how to hold my own with my brothers. So I could definitely be this kind of instigator behind the scenes. And she sent me down to the resource room to help other kids learn to read. And I love books, loved reading. And it was such a joy to help others. And then that became a habit that teachers would send me down. And then they sent me to the kindergarten when I was older to work with special needs kids that maybe had Down syndrome or something. And I really appreciated getting to develop this sense of empathy and and seeing not everybody reads easily. And it just was, it was such a start for me and it, it kept going and it fuels me today. My micro school has such a neurodiverse group of students and you'll get this kid that fights on math. But then when we go on a camping trip is teaching everybody how to fish, you know, so empathy and understanding different strengths and saying, oh, this is tough for you, can I help? Or, hey, this is tough for me, can you help me? It's such a nice trait to get to develop, but it's not something that's on teachers' objective student learning objective list per se. So it it takes that amazing teacher that goes above and beyond to create those opportunities.
0: That's super interesting because even obviously at, a, at an early age, you know, because what does it say, you know, teaching to learn or, or learning to, is it learning to learn is one thing, but teach, learning to teach is a whole other depth or dimension of learning, you know, because you've not only got to take it on, but you've also then got to be reinterpreted. So that really from a young age, you were de- not only were you reading and, and, you know, digesting the books that you loved, you were also taking it and interpreting it as well, which is super powerful.
1: And and I see that it's like Will will help a student with a math problem. It's like, yeah, I still don't get it. And then a classmate will say, Hey, try this. And it's like boom. You know, so it, it it's nice to have different perspectives and different ways of explaining it. And we do a lot of cross age and we even we work quarterly with an Alzheimer's community, and our kids go and do art or cooking with them. And when they teach something, it totally reinforces it for them. And it also gives them this confidence, I can give back. You know, So multi-age or cross-age or cross-generational activities benefit everybody, not just the younger person who might be learning. So absolutely, when we teach, we're integrating it more fully ourselves.
0: Well, what sort of age groups are you dealing with here, Maureen? I mean, I'm... So you're talking about sort of middle and high school is typically is is the branching? What are, that's what are we there? Are we like of,
1: eleven so? or twelve to eighteen. Okay, so it's secondary school.
0: Yeah, so I mean they're they're capable, able, you know, sort of semi know what's going on in the world, right? So but the, you know and this is really giving them a bit of a purpose, a bit of bit of objective, right?
1: That said, I started my career with littler kids. I was in primary and they have a lot that they can do too so we shouldn't underestimate them.
0: Hmm. I was going to say what well, is is there um is there a particularly uh, ideal time to start or to to be able to um actually sort of be able to pull the be you know their sort of level of creativity?
1: I really think we can't start too young. Okay. So, if we give kids the blocks, the puzzle, the Play Doh, the more we can give them to explore different media and textures, the mud puddles, you know, the sandboxes that there are primary schools and preschools that have like water tables and sand tables and dress up centers and but the more we can let kids be super creative the better when i when i taught kindergarten which is 5 year olds i always had a parent volunteer in the class and she would run an art station you know whether an art science so it might be planting seeds in dirt it might be blowing bubbles into a, a tub of water painted water and then they'd set their paper on top of it and make bubble art but just all kinds of things to expose the kids and we can't as teachers do all of this with 30 kids in our class but we can sure enlist others or I had high school aides that would come across the campus and work with my kindergarten students with me so we have to get creative to add these enrichment activities but there are resources so that all ages of kids can be just really creating exploring and and then they start to know their inclinations i like to build you know i like to draw it comes out pretty darn early and then it's how can we foster this?
0: Hmm. Yeah, it's, 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 I guess it's a super way of doing it, isn't it? It's just, it's allowing them to blossom right naturally, and letting mm-hmm. them come out in their own space. Do you, do you, you know, how was your education? Do you remember in terms of that sort of early creativity and then through, you know, middle school?
1: It was pretty traditional. I got to work ahead in some subjects. But like the last year of primary is fifth grade in my, where I grew up, Mm -hmm. I did fifth and sixth grade math with a friend and then we moved to the secondary to the middle school, and I had to redo sixth grade math so it was like such a downer, you know that we couldn't keep on that 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 happened. But there were plays that we could be in. The the music teacher would let us in early. It was cold where I grew up and it was snow in the wintertime. And we could come in early and sing around the piano. You know, there were song flutes and we were learning to read music, a lot of PE. So we're a college town. So we had tons of student teachers doing their practice experiences that could help enrich things. Um, the college right there so we could go to plays and go see things happening at the university so it was pretty traditional but there was room to do extras and there were after school activities and clubs and girl scouts and campfire girls and ballet and stuff so again that's me being privileged, me having college graduate parents that read to me all the time, that signed me up for music lessons and dance lessons. And so um, I really like it when schools can make that happen and have before and after care. And it's not up to having parents that have the means or or have the interest. I think it's something we want to expose all kids to.
0: Is it something that your brothers, you know, were you brothers of that elk as well? Or do you think, I mean, you, are you all separate, different thinkers?
1: We're all really different. Um, I have one brother that turboed ahead and did an engineering degree. And then on the side, while he was an engineer, did a, a CPA degree and passed the whole exam in one fell swoop. So he's probably the smart cookie of the family. <laughs> and then an, another brother... Is super mechanical, and he fixes air conditioning and you know uh, heating elements and stuff like that. And I'm like, "Hey, what's going on with my car, Kevin?" And you know, so different kinds of smarts in each one of us in our family.
0: It's so good, isn't it, to be you know of of the same genetic pool per se, but completely different at the same time. You know, right? And that's. That, and I suppose that just summarizes nicely in terms of, you know, just allowing everyone to be what they be. It's, you know, same with kids, you know, same with anything. It's like we're all celebrate your uniqueness and 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 why not? You know, that's what it's all about. Get it out there.
1: Absolutely. And we need our rainbow of humanity and, and we need to be at a place where we can appreciate differences. And right now I think there's a lot of fear in our culture and, then things get politicized. If we can divide, we can conquer. So, so much has become political. And um, there's a reason that the golden rule in all major world religions is about loving one another. You know, that's the bottom line anywhere, you know, it's just we've got, we've got to get past the fear and we've got to be loving and curious and not us, them hating. And that was, Part of my TEDx talk, it's like, come on. And I'm guilty of saying we've got to innovate, we've got to innovate. Well, it's, no, it's really more of a both and. There are pieces of the regular school system that we want to keep and we need to innovate.
0: Yeah, it's, it's not, yeah, as you say, it's not, it's not changing. Talk to us, well, really about your, I suppose, your book. I mean, what triggered your book? So, I mean, your book is, you know, creating micro schools for colorful. Mismatch kids, a step by step process that empowers. So, talk to me about where that sort of kicked off and, and why and what your intention was.
1: Well, what happened is I realized um, I'd been doing innovations in a lot of schools and I'd been on accrediting teams and coached other schools and I'd done some consulting for other schools. But then my girls, who I'd raised in international schools, came back to the States for high school and it was a disaster. Like we tried all these different models, Catholic school, private school, online school, home school, alternative school, international baccalaureate, early entrance college. And I just realized, wow, if both my daughters are having so much of a challenge in that lockstep high school model, I need to be about creating something differently. So I opened my micro school and thought, this is going to take off. (coughs) But it didn't. It's like, whoa, that's different. I don't know if I want something different for my kid, even though my kid's not doing well. So then we decided let's write a book to help other people create change within their school or micro school. So my board president and I took it on as a summer challenge and made this guidebook. What's,
0: isn't it funny? Like, I was curious, even with your own kids, how you are sort of stepping outside of really the standard system and how you can do different, be different um that actually will sort of complement your kids needs as well differently as well right
1: absolutely my two girls were super different in what they needed one has an autism adhd diagnosis and just needed things broken down a bit more adhd Mm. that executive functioning piece is a challenge for all teens their frontal lobes are not fully developed and getting organized and taking something from a big project into smaller pieces is a challenge even for us as an adult you know as adults if i have to clean up my garage it's like oh my god where do i start mm-hmm. so it's not always easy for us even with our frontal lobes fully developed um, and my younger daughter was fierce had jumped a grade it's like why do i have to do this i want to know the meaning for this and neither one of them could really find a, a happy fit i i put my younger daughter in a really intentional all-girls school and thought this is going to be amazing and it wasn't she got these chronic headaches (coughs) excuse me so I had to withdraw her and and we did online school so Mm -hmm. you never know what's going to work until you try it
0: yeah isn't that it's just that isn't it really celebrating the uniqueness of each child of you know allowing them to to blossom and be who they be as, as opposed to anything else you know and and it's, you know, it's a credit to you for, for taking that much time with them as well. You know, I know, listen, it's it's what parents do, but you know, so many people would have faith in the system, whereas at least you knew to question, them, question the system or, or at least come up with something different. Right.
1: Exactly. But I'm an educator, hmm. you know, so many parents don't know how to navigate that world and that's not fair. I wouldn't know how to navigate a medical world terrain you know mm-hmm. so I had that advantage that I was like no no there are more options no let's ask more questions and not everybody has the time or the background to do that
0: and having the book out for you there I mean is is the book is something obviously you were you're pleased and proud to do and and what's been the sort of feedback for you
1: well right after we put it out. A couple of months later, the pandemic hit, so that kind of shut things down. Um, but because of the book, and we created a, a microschool coalition and and have a resource page for people. Good Morning America called me last summer, and wanted to interview me. So that came about because microschools were the thing, and this is a book on microschools. So that was one takeaway
0: it's awesome to have that, uh, that exposure, that sort of ability to, to, you know, see, and, and as you say, it's, sort of, it's, it's creating the rip on the pond for people to help themselves and to, to go through what they want to do, you know? Yeah.
1: So, and then know. we were able to create a course based on this because people were starting to ask, they heard about this and, and I've been able to help some other people start micro schools and programs in their existing schools. And we have a little mastermind group to support them. So it's kind of a, a nice ripple effect, but it's a lot of work. So not a lot of people are willing to create mm. a school within a school or create a micro school.
0: Well, what is the actual definition of a micro school? Many, you know, how many students are we looking at or, or what, what's the, what's the scaling size?
1: You know, they asked that on good morning America. And I, I felt like such a, a simpleton because it's like, micro school, small school. That's the definition. And everybody defines it differently. For me, it means multi-age. It means kids have more voice. And for me, I cap either campus at 30 students, but it could be 50 students. There's not a set definition.
0: Right. Okay. And I mean, if you go down to sort of homeschooling, if you're, you know, one or two children, uh, you know, is is that a micro school in
1: itself? You know, I consider a school to have multiple courses, m- more students than that. Um, they might define it as that. I also consider a school to cover the whole subject and everything the kid needs to graduate, where sometimes we homeschool in some areas and then we send kids to a co-op for other areas.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's super powerful to see. <laughs> you okay? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I'm getting over a cold.
0: Oh, bless. Bless. So tell me then, what's what's your Ricky guide? And what's what are you good at and what are you passionate about? I mean, what's well, first of all, tell us what's your superpower if you know it?
1: You know, I took one of these, the De Bruce Institute, connects kids um, to work and um interviewed them on my podcast. And my students and I took their agilities test, a free assessment. And it came back three strengths that I have are ideas, connecting people, and selling. And that kind of makes sense because I, there's so many ideas for education, and I love connecting the dots and, hey, how could we do this here and there? And then, you know, getting other people on board. And my, I've sold it to my teachers and they've all returned from last year and um, to our community. So I think my, Those are some of my superpowers. My passion is youth, you know, and what breaks my heart is that they are not all going through school with mirrors that say, oh my gosh, you are so amazing. Have you considered this, this, this? That that five-year-old that's like, look at this drawing I drew and aren't I the best and watch me on the swing, mommy. That five-year-old that's like, it's all about me and I'm so amazing. That we don't find ways to nurture that I'm so amazing throughout. And I know developmentally things shift, and that adolescents with peer influence, that kids become much more self conscious, but schools could be doing a lot, and families could be doing a lot, and communities becoming that living classroom could be doing a lot to say, You are amazing. Whoa, you know, the way you connect those things, have you ever considered or whoa, those two mud puddles that you made and and that you're trying salt water in this mud puddle and regular water in this? You know, that ties into this. And let's go here and let's look at tide pools with you and let's look at this. That we're not going, wow, you are so amazing. Have you ever considered and spurring on their strengths? We're saying you need to fit this lockstep. And if you don't, something is wrong with you where most of us as adults don't do lockstep liberal arts. I'm good at a little bit of everything. And I shift gears seven times a day to totally different topics. So I I would just wish that we could really, you know, use, you know, what breaks our heart and it breaks my heart that we do this to our youth, that we could use that and our strengths you know, tie that together as our passion. And all of us could find ways to live our icky guy. And I'm blessed that I can make a paycheck with this, but I didn't. My first couple of years of my school, I did not get paid. And I moonlit at a community college, you know, so sometimes it takes stepping out and risking to go for our icky guy, but I love what I do. So it's, to me, it's really worth it. It's, it's hard and it's super rewarding.
0: Mm. that's that is so i think it's so so beautiful in the fact that as you say i mean it it, and and quite often that is the case that any passion doesn't you don't necessarily know how to monetize it straight away per se or Mm
1: -hmm.
0: you know sort of even while you are sort of getting up to speed with whatever it is qualifications or educations or knowledge or whatever it needs to be and and but that's the true test of for me anyway. is listening to people about their passion saying it's you know, yeah, I trust and I know that the money will come or that the reward will come in some shape or form, but actually for now it's a bigger picture and I'm happy to invest in that, you know, whatever time, money, whatever it is. You know, that that's the, that's the passion and that's ironically exactly kind of what the teaching is trying to do at the same time, right?
1: Absolutely. And this isn't like, oh, golly, wouldn't that be nice when we really empower kids or get out of their ways we get the the gretas the malalas we get youth activists that are lighting our world on fire so when we really do connect kids with their passion they're out there changing the world and boy our world could use some passion and use some new perspectives and use some equity and um the younger voices today have a lot we can learn from I'm I mean, just gender. It is super hard for my generation. I have girls in their twenties, as as my students say, "Yes, these are my preferred pronouns." And then it shifts, and you know, this is the name I want to be. I mentally have to really shift, and it was a mental shift for me after being <laughs> beat over the head for decades that. Singular and plural have to match. So one human being has to be a he, she, not a they. You can't say they is going to the store. It's like, I mean, my brain just made it so hard and I really am working on this, but our our students are like, yeah, no, this kid is going by this name, these pronouns, make it happen, done. They're so nimble. They're so nimble on technology. I'll ask my daughter, "Um, I can't make this work. Uh, What's going wrong? and it's not that she has the answer she just gets on and does a search and like oh here it says try this you know they're so nimble we have so much we can be learning from them and and they're pretty darn gracious when they feel like it's mutual they're they're super forgiving because it to misgender a student can be really hurtful that's their identity and as we fumble as adults they can be they can be firm, they can educate, they can really help us grow. So this is not like, oh, let's help those poor kids. Those poor kids can be on fire and helping us evolve as a race if we will empower them and stop, you know, straightjacketing them with four years of English and these classic novels and this textbook and memorizing for this test and really letting them shine and helping them unpack their superpowers and their passions. So it's totally a win-win, but it's hard work. And it means institutional change and our institutions kind of like trudging on the way they always have.
0: What, did, do you know or have you any thoughts or, or hypothesis in what the turning, the turning duration in this is? Is this multi-generational that actually You know today you're teaching it and it will take those kids to to actually grow up and to be teaching for the this change to happen um are and are we heading in the right way do you think
1: that's such a tricky question in our institutions because we're looking at institutional inequities in other institutions right now too which is long overdue um I think more options are coming available. It used to be regular school, maybe alternative school or private school or parochial school or a GED, a high school equivalent. And there are charter schools, there are online schools. There's much more of a homeschool movement. There's unschools, more micro schools, more school within schools choice schools where you can lottery to get into a public school that has a a different focus on it. Um, So I think we have more choices. I would love just to see it explode because we also have a lot of traditional and a lot of the state testing. We have an outdated university setting um, that my first board chair was from the Netherlands and worked at Microsoft. And he said, I love startups. I will totally help you. Plus, I see things differently. When I went to university, we, high school seniors, chose our university based on how cool was it? What, what were they doing? And if we didn't choose your college, your college wouldn't get funded. Where in the United States, professors get tenure and they're there forever. And kids get selected into the college. What if we flipped it and kids picked colleges that they thought were good and you didn't get to rest on your laurels? You know, there's so much so many pieces of the system that keep us kind of stuck. Um, But there are other places. um, There's a P-TECH movement where um, business is teaming up with community college and making it a Um, like a 14-year-old to 20-year-old program, and you end up with a a two-year college degree in project-based learning your whole way through high school and into college. I I just got to interview Stanley Lido, and he had been an IBM vice president for a number of years, and he's an innovator and um, a university professor now is a retired career and making things happen. So I, I see these pockets of hope, but We're working in isolation. We're working in silos, and we're not changing the big institutions. So it's not happening fast enough. I can't tell you, Pete, when the when the tipping point is going to happen, but it it's long overdue, and our kids are hurting. So it can't happen fast enough that schools become learner driven, and they have much more of a choice and passion and purpose, and all kinds of alternatives are out there where kids are treated as humans and where we're interacting as humans.
0: Yeah. It's always intriguing, isn't it? That yeah. It's things do take time, you know, and it takes, it yeah. takes change. It takes that activity. It takes that sort of um, the want too, but, and it's fascinating. I mean, do you, do, do you think, I mean, does industry have a duty to get more involved in education? Do you think, I mean, should the two come closer together that, you know, that industry, uh, per se, you know, and you talked about in your, obviously your location there that, you know, you're surrounded by some some large corporations, large, big names. I mean, should they be stepping into the educational field and, and giving insights, do you think?
1: Absolutely. And we see that at P-TECH, that they mentor and kids have internships in high school. We see that mm-hmm. schools that can, <coughs> big picture learning, kids get to intern in high school. The mentor, the intern, the a guest speaker, I think that we all have a responsibility. We need that village raising our kids. And it's not enough just to fund a project. We need adults to be mentoring. And then those are the ones that can say, oh my gosh, I was just like you as a kid. And yeah, you like this computer code. Well, hey, check this out. Or whoa, you're really into environment. Hey, did you know about? So we really need those mentors, or you're super great at at running. Have you ever considered doing some of these things? And, And you know, physical fitness wise. So yeah, I think there's definitely a need. And we all should be raising our kids. I think it's pretty tragic that we send them off to school and say make this
0: happen Mm. that is probably quite common right you know sort of uh, I I know with our own kids here you know the the teachers and the schools who say listen education really starts at home it's just formalized in Mm -hmm. the school but how many people out there kind of pack them up on the bus or take them to school and go go learn and, and let me know what you've learned today and come back right
1: yeah and it's not that hard i i love watching my my teachers have a lot of say in what they present to the students and what kinds of projects they lead and it's so fun because when the kids see their passions and then the kids have a lot of voice in how they're going to demonstrate their knowledge it it's such a win-win so parents and community members if they're just sharing their passions It's super powerful. And and kids are like, whoa, you do ham radio? How does that work? You know? And it's fun. It just, I mean, boys and girls clubs, there are a lot of models out there where there is that mentoring and our kids mentor each other. We have some middle school boys teaching other kids how to knit right now. It's like mentoring is super rewarding and it's just showing up as you are. And most of us have some hobbies and have some interests and connecting on that level it's just being human
0: mm. yeah you say just but it's like it's so it's so it's so simple yet so far away sometimes it's you know it's it's both right it, it's the because i i'm sitting here wondering you know it's like why why is it just not happening you know and and as an example locally i mean i, I I do some. Um, we, we've an ent- we've an organization, organization here called Youth Enterprise. So I go in and speak in schools. And interestingly, I was diagnosed with dyslexia. And one of the oh. schools of saying they have turned to uh, dyslexia-led learning across the board. So simple things like they're very specific. So everything is is printed out on colored paper. Uh, everything is in a certain font. Um, so instead of Teaching by uh, exception, they're teaching everyone to that standard, which means that actually there is the exception is now the norm, which I found fascinating, right? Because they were saying, you know, in in a school of 30, maybe, or a class of 30, they were having maybe five dyslexia children, you know, so which is, can't do the statistics, but I guess roughly, well, it's what's that, about 20% 20 ish. Um, So they said by switching all the learning to that, then that actually meant that there was no 20%. It was everyone. Everyone gets the same teaching.
1: That is brilliant. There's something called universal learning design. And they have this visual and it's three cartoon images. And the first one shows kids of three heights watching a baseball game over a fence and the tallest kid, no problem. One has to really peek, And then the, the third one can't see over it. And then it shows how with special education or things like that, you give the shortest one a stool to stand on and the medium one you give a little step to stand on. So you're kind of leveling things out. And then in the third image, it's exactly what you say. They change the wooden fence to a mesh fence that everybody of every height can see through. So when you do everybody using colored paper and the same font, now everybody has access. That's universal access, universal learning. So how can we say, hey, here's the competency. Do you want to tell me that you know it? Do you want to write it out? Do you want to do an art exhibit to show that you know it? How do you want to demonstrate that you know this? There's so many ways. You know, memorization is short term. It's not. These kids passing amazing international baccalaureate or advanced placement tests. They've done it high tech high. They've done um, studies and they test the kids again, like six months later and they fail the tests. The kids that and aced it before short-term memory. Is that really what we want from our kids? Or can we level the playing field and show lots of ways of demonstrating knowledge and lots of ways to give credit, to give life credit? And that's where our universities are out of date too. I when I was moonlighting, I was helping give people prior learning credit at a university. And I would get a military medic in that couldn't even get health science 101 waived. It's like, wait, this is who I want to save my life. And they can't get any college credit. Well, no, because they just they don't know geriatric and pediatric. They don't know all of these things that I teach in my class. So it's like start at square one, even though you've been out saving lives. So we have such a disconnect. And and yeah, if we can level the playing field and let everybody be able to shine and show what they know in different ways, we can be turboing ahead, but it's messy, it's subjective and it's a new way of thinking and it's hard work and we're not doing it where Where
0: are you most creative?
1: I like creating plans for our kiddos, so I actually had done enough of classroom teaching that day in day out lesson planning after a while wasn't a thrill for me. but our school's small, and so I love figuring out how to how to take kids individual guests gifts or teachers, individual guests, gifts, and play with them and let them shine. And then how to take situations and come up with solutions. So I think on our teacher front, we have 10 teachers, three of them have evolved and it's their fourth year with me and they're the shared leadership team with me. And one of them is super logistical from South Africa. And just like, I'll say, Hey, could you set up a system done? Another one is super relational and unpacking what's going on inside the kids and the emotions and stuff. Another one really loves the curriculum and how can we assess skills and aptitudes as well as content. And so creating roles where they can each lead playing to their strengths and work with me is super fun. And we created the roles based on their strengths. And that just feels organic and they're in the trenches. And so it's definitely grassroots where I'm not there every day, all day. I'm the one that's working on the school and everybody else is working in the school. And, and then I work with the advanced leadership students and some special projects. So take that to students. We had a girl a couple of years ago that, oh my gosh, I'm in love, I'm moving out, I'm 18. I'm gonna get a full-time job work in and pay for rent. Yeah, not really feeling like I want to finish school. It's like, wait, what can we do here? This kid is so close. And so we had one of our teaching assistants have this girl get two days off in a row because she had like 15 hours of English left. And we met in a cafe, bought this kid food and coffee, and just worked two solid eight hour days to get this kid through high school. It's like the kid was that close. And in a normal situation, if that kid hadn't showed up for 18 separate English classes, they would have failed so it's like huh how can we take the existing resources the existing humans and mix them up and create win-wins and that excites me
0: <laughs> it's lovely it's a lovely way to be that you know you can actually do that for people you can excite excite others by exciting yourself as well and and you know or vice versa i should say so yeah i mean it's that it's that um you know, and, and what are the, you know, I suppose if you were trying to make it tangible, what what do you see as the sort of the side effects? I mean, or that this was the main effects really. And I assume then there's less churn, you mentioned less churn. So as in the teachers are not churning, there's, there's not a, a turnover of teachers that the kids themselves are, are they more engaged? Are they, you know, sort of, can you do a happiness scale on kids? You know, is it as transparent as that?
1: You know, I, I think it is. Um, We have some kids that had had school refusal in other settings and just could not get out of the house to school. And when kids feel safe, I call it seen, heard and valued, then they thrive. (coughs) And we're relationships first. Love is a foundation and love isn't even a word I would say in some of my other schools. You know, it's kind of like, oh, that's like really woo-woo. But no, when we know that we're cared for, then yes, we are happy to go to school. We had one kid that had really bad school refusal. Something had gone wrong in a ninth grade all boys school. And he missed the rest of that year. And he came to us the next year and it had become so bad. It was like agoraphobia. And even when he had a cool opportunity to go to a New Orleans trip, packed a suitcase, he couldn't cross the threshold. So this kid came to us and got fist bumps from other students. Hey, good to have you visit. And it's like, okay, this isn't so scary. And slowly he started to come. And then after any long holiday weekend or a, a winter break, he'd miss school, the fear would come back. And kids would call and say, hey man, just come to school for lunch today. And we would use this positive peer influence to pull him back in after long breaks, and we'd call the mom or call the uncle, and you know. But when they know they're safe, they know they're valued, and know that it's not going to be like where were you, but it's going to be. And he said this in his graduation speech. He said it's not people when I come back, they don't say where were you, they say how are you. You know that that made all the difference when he said that. I was like, oh my gosh. Um, so yeah, I think we all want to be valued. We all want people to miss us. We want it to matter that we show up. And this relationship piece is super important anywhere in any job. And I think, Pete, this is probably my last rant. I know I've been letting loose with a lot of rants, but hate crimes are at an all-time high. Um, Serial killings are at an all-time high. Um, the division in the United States, the us, them, vaccinations have become polarized and politicized and and there's just social media is spewing. It's a place to spew so much judgment and there's so many camps. The opposite of all of this is love. But how do we get to love? A lot of times people say there isn't hate, there's only fear. And I, I kind of buy that. Because when I'm not afraid, I mean, Dalai Lama, oh my gosh, you know, he's in his zone and there's no fear because he's so full of love. And there are, there are problems in Tibet, there are problems, but when we're in that love zone, we're seeing others with empathy, we're seeking to understand, we're asking questions to clarify, we don't feel like we have to defend our own, our own points The problem is where are kids getting practice with this? You know, we don't naturally, we're not naturally empathetic. We're naturally what's in it for me. You know, I want the biggest piece of cake. I want to talk first. You know, we slowly train kids on this, but after elementary school, they get shuffled from, you know, one teacher to another. And a teacher has, you know, five groups of 50 kids and content to get through that we're not creating community, we're not working on relationships. When we have project-based learning and longer chunks of time and mentors, when we get to relationships and community, we get to build empathy, we get to stop and say, ouch, that hurt, or oops, I I don't think I got that right. We get to work on these human skills and the business is saying this, you're not sending us work-ready people. They don't have the work ethic. They don't have the connections. They're not saying your your students can't memorize well enough. They're saying they're not work ready. Well, why would they know how to interact with colleagues and how to self-advocate and say, I don't understand this and how to self-initiate if we just spoon feed them, you have to write 500 words. Your margins have to be this big. It has to be in this font. When have we ever had them think? When have we ever had them do the designing and the iteration and redos—it's not a redo. You get an F on the paper and move on to the next class. So we're not taking time to build the human. And if we want a kinder world, if we want work-ready, we have to see the human. We have to hear the human. We have to have time to value the human. And that can't be if we're busy preparing for tests that these kids have to pass to to graduate. So to me, love. And interpersonal skills and all of the social emotional that goes with that. What am I feeling? How do I express that appropriately? How do I regulate what I'm feeling? How do I take breaths and get mindful? These important life skills don't fall neatly into an ongoing way of of helping evolve our humans. So to me, that is just a crime. And it's resulting in these screen addicted kids getting their dopamine hits from how many likes they got or from their video games, going out and not seeing others as humans and being more easily hurting others because they don't even see when I have this machine gun and I'm shooting, I'm just in pain and nobody's seen my pain and I don't see the humanity in others. So we have a crisis on so many levels and the statistics are telling us that. And More math, English, social science in isolation that is memorized is not going to raise the humans we need to solve these problems. So last rant, I promise, Pete, we need love. We need humane. We need kids to get to practice being humans in our schools.
0: Wow, it's so true. I mean, it is all about the love, you know, It's, it's all about that sharing. And, you know, as you're speaking there, it's sort of... It reminds me, you know, there's a saying and and sort of come about and I can't, I can't remember actually who said it and where it originated from, you know, but it's like how many people are living the past in the current yet when Uh. we could be listening, you know, we could be living the future today, you know, and that's, it's that visualization technique. It's that goals. It's setting it in today as opposed to, as you say, you know, where were you as opposed to. How are you? You know, I love that yeah. that that uh, differentiation between the two, you know, and and teaching that way as well, as saying, rather well, than, you know what did you score in your test as opposed to what are you creating? What could you create?
1: Yeah, and redos. Mm. Uh, I am so glad as an adult, when I screw something up, you should have seen all the iterations, all the design thinking my micro school had to make during a pandemic. Last fall, it was like, going to be outdoors in the parking lot we're going to and it's like whoa the wi-fi isn't strong enough to support this oh my gosh they have construction going on next door we can't hear oh now there's the fires and the air quality isn't good enough we kept iterating and adjusting to serve kids as fully as possible and then it's Mm. indoors half the kids spread out six feet apart masks on and we got to keep iterating to serve kids why shouldn't a kid get to have an assessment and then get to keep working on something to master it instead Mm. of what is like a summative assessment. At the end of the semester, I give you a score and then I don't see you again because you're done with my class. So it doesn't guide you to improve. It just labels how well you did. It's not informing you. The, The environment informed us and we had to keep iterating to find out how we could best serve our students in a pandemic. Why wouldn't we want... Kids to keep iterating and keep evolving, instead of one and done. We get redos as adults all the time, and we work on that with kids. Like, whoa, can we rewind this and have this conversation again? That didn't feel good. We work on giving them redos, and it would be nice if our school system could allow that as well.
0: Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. Where do you see this going? What What's next on the agenda for you?
1: I really want to help more schools. It's, I think it's really hard to start from scratch and fund your own micro school. This is the third micro school I've opened, but, um, and the fourth I've worked in, because I actually worked in one in the Philippines as a part of my job in the main campus, but schools can have schools within schools. And I got to do that as a, a young teacher I got to get some other teachers together and we had tons of portables who we were overcrowded and we created a school within a school. And I like helping other schools create smaller programs within. I like, I've served on a lot of accreditation teams. I like going in and helping them assess, here's your mission, where are you going? What's working? What would you like to be doing better? And help them set a plan so they can set their future goals. We have near us, near Seattle, a school district that has choice schools. And these are small schools. Oftentimes sharing a building with a larger school and it has a focus on environment or on Latin or on project base. These lottery schools have waiting lists of hundreds every year. What if, and I would love to help this, what if I could join schools and say, what are your passions? What's going on in your school? How might we create a school within a school that could do things differently and know kids better and wrap around teachers where the teachers are with them, maybe for second, third, fourth grade, a chunk of time, or for the three years of middle school English. So it's an evolution and it's more relational It's thematic, maybe it's STEM based, project based, environmental, outdoor. What are your gifts and how can we use these to create a school within your school? And how can we do this differently? In the 90s, I did a doctoral dissertation on innovators. There's so much resistance to innovation. We get scared, we get threatened. What if we bring in some people that don't want to innovate at your school and they? you know, we set this common goal and there's so much, there's this whole model where you can look at polarities. I want to keep what there is. I want to do what, you know, is innovative. We all want kids to thrive. What are some good things of both parts of the model? What are some worrisome things about both? How can we move forward together and agree? And you can keep doing this and I can do that. We can check on each other. We can support each other. We can address fears. So it's not an us them. It's, it's both and it's collaborative and we need to be able to do that, to use appreciative inquiry, to celebrate the good and traditional, celebrate the good and innovative so that we're not fighting each other. There was a lot of fight in my state recently in the last 10 years over charter schools, which are common in many states and use public school funding, but our teachers unions like, oh no, oh no, that's going to take away from our resources. And this fear-based didn't acknowledge that charter schools are often in areas that students are underserved. They run a longer school year. They help kids get caught up academically. It was just fear. They're gonna take some of our funding and and the scarcity mentality. Could we have conversations? Could I facilitate conversations where we focus on abundance, both and talking to each other, being transparent and knowing kids learn differently and letting teachers use different strategies to serve kids. And when I've been able to do this, it's been so rewarding and it's a process and it talks about individual strengths. So it's not a formula, you're gonna do XYZ because it takes teachers' passions and turns it into how to serve kids' passions. So um I would like to be doing this all over the place and just really helping us have so many choice schools that there aren't hundreds on waiting lists. They're in every school and, and every kid has a chance to learn in a way that works better for them.
0: Mm. It's, a be- it's a beautiful passion and beautiful mission, you know, that actually will, it's it's truly game changing, right? Because that's the whole thing that you're teaching kids in a different way, which will change and the ripples will be felt for quite some time for the rest of their life almost. And, and then, and so on, you know, to their kids, grandkids, even back up upwards as well, that Changing the kids' education could change the parents. So it's it an does. Amazing impact.
1: It's both ways. And then the kids could still be a part of a bigger school and still be on the volleyball team or in the musical. So they could have the best of a larger comprehensive model, but they would be a part of a smaller community. And so many kids get lost in the shuffle. So many teachers get lost in the shuffle my teachers come back, not because we pay better than public school, but because the relationships make it worth the hard work. Relationships are win-win for students and teachers and smaller pockets and getting to know kids over multiple years and getting to guide kids instead of having to be the expert. It is so mutual and so beautiful. So it's truly a win-win and it can change our parents and our future generations and it puts the emphasis on relationship and humans and love and strengths it's definitely shifting the paradigm away from content and assembly line
0: oh it's i mean there's so much there i I love it the the strength the message the i think because we've all been through school right and we all have had different experiences Mm -hmm. so we can all relate and vice versa we know that this we need to change we know that the education you know we're all out of schools different amount of time but yet we know the education system hasn't changed the same way that we've changed and learned and moved on right so it's still the same old you know we've got a box here we've got to do this do this test do these subjects you may or may not need Mm -hmm. them but um that's just what we do right because we don't know any better so that's what we just keep doing and that's yeah. and
1: it doesn't matter if you already know this it doesn't matter that you can test out at the beginning we are going to go through this hole. it doesn't matter that you might want to do it a different way mm. this is the one size must fit all that we never have again after high school
0: mm. Mm. you can only hope I suppose to have that level of um, confidence it's probably the right word maybe just to be able to sit back and say yeah it's we might we might not be able to sort of shoehorn everyone into certain categories or grades or whatever but that's okay too it's it's just down to their their judgment so yeah it's retrospectively or, or, or sort of almost from the sidelines to see what's going to be the most effective to implement you know what's possible but
1: yeah know. yeah and truly i i really hope the community becomes more engaged because there are magical stories where kids years later Say wow, this person influenced me so much. This person saw something in me. And it's usually that coach or that employer. It sometimes it's that classroom teacher. But when we get that, it doesn't always take a lot. It can transform, you know, it it can totally change the trajectory for a student. So I really look forward to education being without the walls and having so many more influences. We have amazing resources in our communities we have amazing retired people college kids you know there's so many people that could be influencing our learners and just hoping that we don't go back to the four walls as the pandemic someday ends that we think broader
0: yeah it's it's too good an opportunity to to miss this you know so i can understand why it's been such a momentous time for you guys to to actually put it in place you know when when everyone is standing up or everyone is sort of taking time out then why not so yeah it does make all the difference tell me if, if if you were then trying to describe your fire in the belly in one or two words what would they be more
1: valuing and empowering youth
0: it's three maybe four words but we'll let you away with it <laughs> i love it i love it tell us where can people reach out where can people Uh, get a copy of your book, find out more, listen to your podcast, give us a, give us a shout out there.
1: I think the easiest is educationevolution.org. That's where the podcast, and you can contact me for a free 15 minute chat and it links pretty much to everything else. And I'm on LinkedIn too. So yeah, I'm out there.
0: Oh, brilliant. And is there a final message you'd like to leave with our listeners today?
1: I would just say, please, please do something that connects you to youth. Don't think that what you're going to do is too small. Please get involved in one youth's life, in one teacher's classroom. Please get involved with youth. Everybody has something to offer. And the time is now. Our, our youth are waiting. Wow.
0: Morning, I thank you for your time. I thank you for really sort of explaining that and sharing, you know, really with your your book and your purpose and your passion here today. So that's your icky guy, if you like, that's, that's what it's all about. <laughs> to, to learn, it makes so much sense. And, and I know even obviously being myself, being a father of young kids, it's, I see that, you know, let them learn. Same with anyone. It's like, we will always learn far more if we're allowed to do it in the way we want to do it or do what sort of means the most to us. So.
1: yeah and really right and wrong says who you know Mm. if we're not hurting somebody what if you want to eat your mashed potatoes with no utensils but you know right and wrong let's let's let kids explore a little more
0: Mm. i think it's messy play they call it with with our little ones yeah (laughs) We leave that for leave that for nursery because it is messy. It's really messy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yep.
0: <laughs> when they get home, it's not so messy. Oh, listen, Lauren, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time today. And uh, until the next time, thank you.
1: Thank you, Pete. And thank you for your important work and in, in sharing stories. This is such an honor to be here today.
0: Well, that was another great episode of Fire in the Belly. You know, this really wouldn't be possible without a great guest taking the time to share their personal journeys. And by the way, sometimes it is personal. It's an absolute pleasure to have that and then to hear the journeys that the people have been on. We've loads more episodes coming up soon and it's always a pleasure to have guests on. If you do happen to know anyone with true fire in their belly, please reach out to us so we can share their journey, lessons and successes. So all that's left to say is have a great day, live with fire in your belly and be the mightiest version of you.